Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Lake Homa. If this, oh, hey, y'all actually spoke back. That's awesome. Good morning. <laughs> Glad to have you here. If you're visiting with us, we are honored to have you as our guest. We're in a series, a new series called Beyond. And today, we're talking about Beyond I'm Sorry. So let me ask you a question. I usually start out this way, but let me ask you a question. When was the last time you uttered the words, I'm sorry? Was it two weeks ago? A week ago? Yesterday? Today? Okay, so some of you even today, we've already said the words, I'm sorry. Now, what we're really talking about here is we're going to be talking about confession and repentance. And that that's a broader term than just saying, I'm sorry. And there will be those of you who probably will say this is a very hard lesson. It will be difficult. Not because it's theologically difficult at all. Not because of that. Not because it's obscure in the Bible. Because, no, this, is all, this topic is all over the place in Scripture. It's hard. It's hard. Because true confession and repentance actually goes to the heart of who we are. It goes to our nature. It goes to our character. It exposes the things in us that we don't like to have exposed. It goes to a part of us that in those dark places, we don't even want to go ourselves. So when we talk about this subject of confession and repentance... It is hard. It is difficult. But it's difficult because we are human. And it's hard for us to actually go to those places many, many times. So before we get into our lesson, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Lord, as we bring our hearts before you into your throne room, we come confessing and repenting our sins our faults, the things within inside of us that we know, we know deep down, that just aren't right with us. And Lord, we know that that confession and that repentance that we have with you is, is such a wonderful, wonderful thing that we can come into your throne room and that by your blood of the Son that you sent to this earth, by His blood, we are cleansed of those sins. But Lord, we're talking today about something that's even deeper than that, even more intense. And that's going beyond, I'm sorry, with the people that we love, with the people that we do church with, that the people we work with, we go to school with, the people we interact with on a daily basis. That there's many times we need to go beyond, I'm sorry, to what true confession and repentance is. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. How many of you remember what happened a couple of weeks ago when Will Smith, when Will Smith, Chris Rock said something about Jada, at the Academy Awards, Will Smith got up and slapped him, right? Just right in the middle of that. 
And did you read his apology? If you didn't, I've got it on the screen. (laughs) So (laughs) I just want you to see this. It says this. It says, jokes at my expense are part of the job. But a joke about Jada's medical condition was too much for me to bear. And I reacted emotionally, he wrote. I would like to publicly apologize to you, Chris. I was out of line and I was wrong. I'm embarrassed and my actions were not indicative of the man I want to be. There's no place for violence in a world of love and kindness. Violence in all forms is poisonous and destructive. Now, is this a good I'm sorry statement? Yes, absolutely. It's a really good I'm I'm sorry statement. I'm sorry for what I did. I'm sorry that I hurt you, Chris. And I, I, I shouldn't have done that. And here's the two things, here's the two things that we do really, really, really well, okay? Here's the first one. The first one is this, this culture of I'm sorry, the first one is this, is I am the one who is responsible. We do this very well. If we do something that we've harmed somebody or hurt somebody, we usually own up to it and say, I'm the one that's responsible. And here's the second thing we do very, very well. And it's unfortunate that this happened. It's very unfortunate that this happened. Now, this is great. This is really good. But, but, this is usually where we start, and this is where we end. And then we're done. And that's the I'm sorry. And if we're going to go beyond that, we need to go to what true confession and what true repentance actually means. And so, what is our culture of confession and repentance. Usually, our, our, the whole idea of our culture right now, of confession and repentance, is, well, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's about what I went through, what I'm going through, and that I hurt you, and I'm sorry for that. And that culture is not in Scripture. But that's the culture that we are in when we're talking about confessing and we're talking about repenting. It's about me. Most of those statements that you read there about Will Smith were more centered around himself than they were about anything else. But that's because, for the most part, we live in a culture of narcissism. We only think about ourselves. That's kind of our culture. Now, Chris... Christopher Leish says this, and he wrote this, in A Culture of Narcissism. He said, people today hunger not for personal salvation, let alone for restoration of an earlier golden age, but for the feeling, the momentary illusion of personal well-being, health, and psychic security. For this, they turn not to their priest, but to their therapist in the hope of achieving the modern equivalent of salvation, mental health. Do you know what uh, Will Smith did? Probably you do. What Will Smith did after everybody kind of piled on him and said, hey, listen, they had all these things about what he did, and they didn't like it and everything. What, What did Will Smith do? He checked himself into a nice, nice rehabilitation center, and he says this, to manage his life, his life, manage his life, his mental health. And listen to this next statement, next statement, as a culture, 
We have a natural expectation of the direction confession and repentance should take, namely, the swift and dramatic transformation regarding the offender. We want everything to be done quickly. And for believers, for believers, we kind of fall into this trap as well. Our trap of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll do better next time. And then we go on. And we kind of rely on one of those scriptures in the Bible that we kind of take out of the context and we just say, and we just think that, oh, I've done my job. And that's James 5, verse 16, and it says this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So we confess our sins, and then we pray, and then we think we're done. We think we are done. But that's not what true confession and true repentance is. Confession, listen, listen, listen. Confession is the door, is the door, confession is the door that we have to walk through in order to do true repentance in the room. Did you get that? Confession is just the door we have to walk through in order to actually continue the whole process of what repentance is. So, so what is the appropriate process? And that's what we're going to talk about today. What is the appropriate process for confessing and repenting? What is it? And before we get into this, before we get into this, I want to offer you a warning. And here's the warning. This is not an overnight process. We want our I'm sorry to be done right after it happens. And once we're I'm sorry... We want it to just go away. But it's not an overnight process. This is one that may take weeks, may take months. Repentance is something that may even take years. It is a process of building a relationship that we've torn down and seeing it from their side and also helping bring, bring, bring back that relationship and bringing it back together. That is not always an easy thing, right? Sometimes that is very difficult. And it may take weeks, it may take months, it may take years in order for that relationship to actually be restored. So, true repentance, true repentance is a process. And what we do is we just want to do the confessing without going through the whole repentance process. So, let's talk about that, and let's talk about that in, uh, I'm going to give you five things today, five things, A, B, C, D, and E, and I'm going to fill in a lot underneath that. And those five things are the things I want us to talk about. The five steps that we're going to do. And I can tell you that I'm in this process right now with Deborah. I'm not going to tell you why. Not going to. But I'm going to tell you that I'm in this process with Deborah. It's a process I'm using. Because I believe it's a process of repentance and not just a process of always saying, I'm sorry, husbands, do we ever do that? I'm sorry. And then we come back and do the same thing again. We go, I'm sorry. Wives, I'm sure you do it too. But I know I'm just speaking from my angle on that one. Okay? So here's the first thing. A, write these down if you want them. I think they're they're very good. This is not my stuff. It's a teacher that told me these five things. And so I want to give them to you. Here's the first one. Acknowledge and confess 
I was wrong. Yes, that's the first step. Acknowledge and confess I was wrong. Now, this is a trite approach that we always use when we say, I confess, I'm forgiven, I'm good. Because we believe that we've gotten this relationship right with God. When I confess my sins one to another then and pray, then this relationship is right. This relationship is right. But there's another relationship in this whole thing, right? There's a relationship between me and you. There's a horizontal relationship. And I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but I want you to understand that there's two relationships that are in this whole circle of confessing and repentance. One is with you and one is with God. The other one is with you and with whoever you offended, whoever you've hurt by your words, by your actions, by your deeds. That's the other one. So I need you to think about this because I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit later. But I want us to understand, acknowledge and confess that I was wrong in 1 John because I think many times we don't even do that. I think many times we just go, they can get over it. They can just deal with my actions. Then just deal with who I am. And we don't even think we're wrong many times. Hello, I'll get that. Okay. No. All right. Sorry. All right. First John 1. I'm on a roll, aren't I? Okay. First John 1, 8 to 10. All right. Here we go. Listen to this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have no sin, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Listen, we want to fix, we want to fix our relationships with God and stand in that freedom of forgiveness that he offers us And then we want to just get back to the way it was without doing the work. We want to do this, but we don't want to do this work. We want to say, well, I've got it right with God. I've got it right with Him. I haven't really harmed them, but God, you know, I, I may have hurt them a little bit. And so I get that relationship right, and we just think, well, I'm going to stand in that forgiveness that God offers me, and I'm never going to get back to this. We never take that other step to actually make the steps to actually say, I am sorry to the other person. And then the steps that needed to take to make that right with that individual and make that right. There's something else that we need to grapple with. And that grapple with is the the process of what this repentance looks, looks like in our lives. Okay, so remember that confession, this is the act. This is the act. Open the door. Go into it. That's confession. And now you're in the room that you're in repenting. And that repentance can be a long room. It can be something that you're going to be on a journey for a long, long time. Here's B. Here's B. Acknowledge, acknowledge how your sin, first of all, how your sin has wronged the other person. I'm sorry. I did this. I did this. And I know I have hurt you. I know I have hurt you with my sins. Do you remember the story of David? And he asked, and this is right at the end of 2 Samuel. I think it's interesting that this story represents the last chapter of 2 Samuel. When David 
ask his commander of the army, Joab, to go out and actually count his fighting men. And Joab's like, no, don't do this, David. Please don't. And he tried to get him not to, but David prevails, it says. And so David sends Joab out, and he counts all the fighting men, even though he wouldn't count the Levites. He even thought, thought that was just totally unheard of. He wouldn't do that. So he counted 800,000 fighting men, 800,000 fighting men in Israel and 500,000 fighting men in Judah alone. And he comes back and he tells David, and David is heartbroken. And Gad, the prophet, comes up and says, your pride, your arrogance, he doesn't say those words, but that's what David has in his heart, your pride, your arrogance, that you think you're so great and so mighty and that you're not relying on me and you're not relying on my power, that you're relying on the, the strength of your army. That's what I see in that passage. You've got a choice of three things. And David says, I don't want to put my hand, I don't want to put my fate in the hands of anybody outside, my enemy. I want to put my faith in you, fate in you, God. And so he sends, he sends a pestilence over the nation, killing all these people as this pestilence goes across. 70, it says 70,000 men died. 70,000 men died. And as they it, it, as that happens, David says these words. It's in 2 Samuel 24, verse 17. Not even going to be on the screen, I don't think. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Behold, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. But the sheep, the sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and my father's house. David's actions, even though he, could, he had said, my, I, I, I'm sorry for what I've done, and Gad said, God has forgiven you in this, in that chapter, he still understood that I have sinned so much that it hurt my people. 70,000 people died, and if you think that they had family, and they had wives, and they had children, and they had parents that were still alive, how many people do you think were affected? By his one decision of pride. And I know that's a big, big story that we may never do in our own lives. But I think there's some things that rise to that level. Rise to that level to acknowledge how your sin has wronged all those sheep. All the people. Not just the one person you may have hurt, but surrounding them as well. Here's, here's four things I want you to write down if you can. This goes underneath, underneath B. Four things, some thoughts on, thoughts on how our sins harm others. Here's the first one. I must recognize how my actions had an impact on the one hurt or offended. It may not be to the degree, but I've done something to hurt that person, okay? Recognize that my actions have an impact on the one I've hurt or offended. I've done something to harm that person. I've hurt them. I've hurt them. And here's three important questions. If you don't get anything out of this lesson, take the three questions with you. Take a snapshot because they're all going to be on the screen at one time. 
All three of these questions are vitally important as we ask them ourselves. Here's the first one. This is A. Did my sin damage our relationship and their ability to trust me? Did my sin damage our relationship and their ability to trust me? This is the person I've hurt. Here's the second question you need to ask. To what depth have I hurt them? To what depth have I hurt that individual? What depth? And here's the third, C. Do I realize my sin and its captivity on my life? Do I realize my sin and my captivity and, the, and its captivity on my life? And here's why that's so crucial, that, that third question. It's because many of us don't even know we've done anything wrong. And if we do, our, our apologies are basically meaningless. You remit, do you know what celebrity and politicians' po- apologies look like? Here's, here's the next thing. I just want to put this. I made a mistake. I've dealt with it, and I'm sorry. And every time either someone says that, doesn't this kind of sound hollow to you? Like, ah, okay, but what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? All right, here's number three. Here's number three in that. True confession must center around the harm and hurt of another and how how I have wronged them. How I have wronged them. We have to come to grips that my actions, my actions, our actions had an impact on that individual that I have hurt. And many of us don't have that awareness in our lives. That's the problem. Many of us are not even self-aware that our nature, our character, and the way that we act sometimes comes across as something that, is, that people just go, what in the world are you doing? What in the world are you doing? And we don't even realize that. That self-awareness is so key in understanding our confession and understanding how to repent. And then number four, we have, and I just want to say, we have apologized, many of us have apologized to so many people, but we've never sat down with them, we've never spoken to them, and the ways that we have hurt that individual. Oh, we'll say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but how did you hurt that person? When have we sat down with them and saying? How did I make you feel when I did that? What are your feelings? What's happening in your heart right now toward me? Toward me. Okay, I, w- I want you to show you something. You need to grab you a Bible, okay? Grab a Bible if you don't mind. There's one in the pew. Get one if you don't. I'm going to read out the NIV. Okay? Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, in verse 21 you have the title at that little section as murder. I would call this more about repentance than I would murder, okay? More about repentance than it is about murder. But Jesus says here in, in verse 21, chapter 5 of Matthew, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Be subject to judgment. And then he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anybody that's angry, drop down to verse 23. Therefore, therefore, if you 
are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar first, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. I said this before, I'll say it again. Jesus, God, believes it is more important for your relationship horizontally to be right before you come to worship and offer your sacrifices to Him. That's what He said right there. That's what Jesus said right there. In other words, this relationship that we always want to get right, if these relationships aren't right, then this one isn't right either. Jesus said that has to be right. This, this, this horizontal, you leave your gift at the altar and you go and you make it right. Then come and sacrifice. Then come and offer your offering. And I wonder, I wonder how many of us, probably, maybe, even this morning, just need to leave worship and go get something right with another individual so that you can be whole in this relationship as well. All right, here's C. Here's C. Make any necessary amends or reparations. Any necessary amends or reparation. Is there anything, is there anything I can do to repair, to repair the damage that I've caused in that relationship? Is there anything that I can do? Is there anything that I can do? Now, if, if you want to repair the damage of, let's say I back up into your car. You, what do you expect me to do? At least say, I'm sorry, here's my insurance, and uh, I hope it all works out for you. You want me to go a little bit more than that, right? I am so sorry. I, I'll do whatever, whatever you need. I, I'll, I'll, let's make this right, because you want to help repair that damage and you want to help repair that relationship. Now, I can tell you that a lot of our relationships that are damaged are not like a car. They're more psychological, they're more internal, they're more spiritual than they are something that's physical. And that's why it takes a lot longer than sometimes a week, a month, or years for that to be healed. It just takes longer than that. And it should cost us. That's number one. It should cost us. It should cost us something. Because in the Exodus chapter 22, verse 1, the whole chapter is really about reparations and making amends for things that you do wrong. That's the whole chapter about Exodus 22. It says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it and sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. What does that say about how we're supposed to make restitution and amends to other people? You go above and beyond. You go above and beyond the harm that you believe that you did to that person, and you pay back and do something even greater than. You've got to go above and beyond that. And to repair that damage, that's number two, Go down to verse 5 of that same chapter. If a man grazes his livestock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray and they graze into another man's field, he must make restitution from the best of his own field or vineyard. In other words, if you're, and if you knew that how being over in Israel is kind of interesting, you had this plot of land 
And usually it was on a terrace. And then this other person had a plot of land that was down here. And you had usually stones on everything. Here's your plot of land. This is enough for you and your family to survive on, this plot of land. And it wasn't that big. And so if your animal got off and got down into their land, they're eating your crop for the year. They're doing damage to your crop for how you sustain that year. Sustain that year. And so, even though they may have not done it, you take the best. Not just, not just giving them exactly what happened. You give them the best of what you have. The best of what you have to help that individual. Okay? So, that's how we make amends, and that's how we make restitution. Here's, here's the fourth step. D, clarify the steps to better yourself and not repeat the action again. How am I going to tell you that I am not going to do this again? Let me clarify the steps for you. All right, if you want to, turn to Luke chapter 19, see if you got your Bibles out. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, 1 through 11, some there. In that scripture, you have Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree, the Savior for to see. The Savior passed his way and said, hey, Zacchaeus. He looked up in that tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down because I'm going to your house today, okay? Got the story, right? Got it? Okay. So, as they're going to that house, what's said in verse 7 by all the people? All the people said this, Saul, and began to mutter about Jesus. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. The guest of a sinner. Then look at verse 8, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stood up and said to, the, said to the Lord, look, Lord. Now, this is how you do this. This is how you clarify the steps to better yourself and not to repeat them again. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. You want to know how I am trying to change how I am trying to make this better, how I am trying to make my life better, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, what does he say? Salvation. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Wow. How powerful when we, when we state those statements to another and say, here's how I'm going to change. Here's what that looks like. Here's how I'm going to make that happen. And I want you to know, I'm sorry, but on this road to repentance and never doing this again, and I don't want to hurt you again, and I don't want to hurt others again, and I don't want this to be something that I always do. I want to continue to, to make myself look more like Jesus, to make him look, myself look more like Jesus. And the last thing is this, the last thing is this, is change one's behavior. We have to change one's behavior. And note, here's a note. You don't get to call the shots, people. Brothers and sisters, you don't. You don't get to say to everybody, look at me. I've changed. I'm different. No, this is only completed when others see true 
confession and repentance occur in our lives. When they look at us and they go, he's different. He's not the same. He's not the same. He's actually changed. One more place I want you to look. Go, go to Acts. Now go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. This is where I'm going to end today. Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul is recounting his call to God. He's telling everybody about the Galatians, about who, what type of person he was. In verse 13, he says this, For you have heard, you have heard, in my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Look at verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. And so you have this man who was persecuting All of a sudden, God takes over in his life, and now he is preaching the gospel. And people are wondering, can I trust him? Look down, verse 21. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Now, the best, next line is critical. What did they say about him? What did they say about him? They said, and they praise God because of me. They praise God because they saw in Paul something different. We don't get to call that. We don't have that privilege of saying, I've changed. We are changed when other people look at us and go, that person. That individual is making a difference. He's making a difference not only in my life by the way he's living, but he's making a difference in every other life as well. And praise be to God for him. And wouldn't we want that to be said about us? Praise be to God that we have changed and we look more like Christ. And if you're here this morning... And you need to repent. We've got elders that will be at the back more than happy to pray with you. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and been baptized for remission of your sins, then do that today. Together we stand and sing.